0: Game four is now in the books and the series between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves is tied two to two. While the Grizzlies certainly do have to feel they're in a good spot, best of three, two of those games at home, there are some legitimate concerns as to why if the Grizzlies don't right the ship in a few areas, they easily could see their playoff pursuit in. Sean Coleman, DeMichael Cole here with me as well. This edition of Locked On Grizzlies is kicking off. Here we go
1: you are locked on grizzlies your daily memphis grizzlies podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: Welcome to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Certainly hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you're having a wonderful start to your day. Sorry about the technical issues, but hey, we do it on the fly. That's what certainly helped the Grizzlies in the playoffs so far. You can find myself at SEC, DeMichael at DeMichaelC, DeMichael Cole, beat writer for the Grizzlies with the commercial appeal. Myself, Grizzly Bear Blues, your co-host here at Locked on Grizzlies your Grizzlies every day. And obviously you can find the show on all podcast platforms for free. Find the show at Locked On Grizz on Twitter as well. But hey, you know where to find us. You know where to join us anytime you get the opportunity to. But let's get right into the subject at hand, and that is game four. Last night, a late game, and there's no better perspective to dial into than the man that was there sitting Right there, watching the game, DeMichael Cole. DeMichael, it was an entertaining game, if you want to call it that. But the problem is, is that the star of the show in many segments of the game were the refs. And it was just absolutely pitiful at times to see some of the calls that were made.
1: Sean, it's it's playoff basketball, man, and it's, it's, it's kind of deflating. I know it is for the fans. It is for myself, you know, just being, you know, a writer. You want to see good basketball. We all want to see. These are the two teams, top five in the NBA in pace. These are two, the top two scoring teams in the NBA. We want to see a fun, exciting, up and down, you know, series. And we're just not getting that. And it's not because of the players. It's because of the stripes. And it's, Sean, I, I mean, I'm I'm at a loss for words because I mean you you know, like I know, uh Taylor Jenkins doesn't, doesn't do that. And and I'll you know, I'll give you the perspective of being in the arena and, and and how I saw it because you know, uh watching him on the bench, you know, I always first thing I do when I see Taylor, you know, some of these calls, especially when Jaron Jackson Jr. fouled out. My first reaction is. Go and look at Taylor Jenkins. Look at Taylor Jenkins. What is he going to do? Is he already talking to some other players? Is he about to talk to Jaron Jackson Jr. when he comes to the bench? Or is he just showing frustration on his face? He kept an even kill face, on for most of this game. So when he came to the post-game presser, I didn't expect what we got. And, and mind you, he usually takes his time getting to the press. He nearly beat me there. And to put that like in perspective, I said – uh, to the right, right, right to the left of the Timberwolves bench, right beside the Timberwolves bench. Soon as the buzzer ended, you know, I sent out a tweet and I posted my story and I got up and I walked to the press conference room. Taylor Jenkins had to be there two minutes behind me. So he probably walked to the locker room, you know, said, let me go take care of this or something. And, and you know, came and unloaded. I mean, Sean, you heard it um he basically said this is it was one of the worst poorly officiated uh games he's ever seen and it was kind of surprising because I asked him I asked him the question from a more open-ended perspective I didn't know which way he was going to go with it but I knew officiating was the was the talk I mean we'll get more into it Sean I'll let you dive more into it as well but every grizzly starter had uh two fouls by the eleven thirty mark of the second quarter every grizzly starter had four fouls, you know. By I believe every Grizzlies star except Xavier Tillman had four fouls by the end of the third quarter, and Xavier Tillman was the first one to five fouls, and Jaron Jackson Jr. fouled out. So I didn't know what to expect, but it's two ways to look at it. For one, you know he un- he unloaded, and of course, you know it's going his paybook is going to be uh, affected and all of that. But he he made it clear he didn't care. He he wanted to stand up for his players, and I haven't, you know, I mean, I don't think that Taylor Jenkins is not the type of guy to stand up for his players, but I feel like if you wanted to critically critique him, he's so calm, cool, and collected all of the time that you would think, Sean, Maybe he needs to, you know, get riled up a little bit more when, you know, Jaws complaining about all these calls, when he's falling all over the floor and Jaron Jackson is getting, you know, some of these tough offensive foul calls and things like that. Usually you see Taylor be real mild-mannered. So it's crossed my mind before, like, you know, maybe that's the next step in the evolution of him as a coach, you know, taking that step for his players and not worrying about the consequences. This was – as much of an example of that as I've ever seen uh, from him. The press conference was short. I think we talked to him for two minutes, maybe three. Um, The first question, you know, I asked him, and I just asked him about the officiating just uh, indirectly. I didn't ask him, what did you think about the referees? You know, I asked him more so – the question was more so centered around the players in terms of how do you think the players can adjust to the way these referees are calling the game? And he took it there. So I didn't bait him into it or anything. That was something Taylor Jenkins wanted to get off his chest, Sean.
0: And there's a big reason why.
1: And, and and the reason why is,
0: number one, it needed to be addressed. Like, you know, just to say how egregious the overall performance of the refs were. And and I think for those who have listened to Locked on Grizzlies for a while, to Michael, since you've been here or since I've been here over the past two years, I never, or hardly ever, will put the refs in a situation where they're to blame. I don't think that they were the biggest reason that the Grizzlies lost last night, but they certainly played a part in it. But here's the other big key. Here's the reason why I believe Taylor Jenkins said what he said. Yes, it was the poorest performance of the rest, but it's the ripple effect that it has on the Grizzlies as well, right? Mm -hmm. You have all these fouls being called. It limits the ability for the Grizzlies to get into an offensive rhythm, which they need to do in order to be able to have success. If they were okay last night, but you know, For instance, in game two, they, they, were, they were able to get going eventually, but it does affect the rhythm. But the other thing, and this is the biggest key for me, is that when you have so many fouls called early on the starters, their overall aggressiveness, their overall effectiveness playing defense, both individually and as a collective unit, it's going to be limited because they don't know what they're going to be able to do without a foul being called. And so that limited the Grizzlies' overall effectiveness on defense last night, which I think led to the even bigger... Bigger issue was the fact that they allowed 18 threes and 50% shooting from three, but it does have a ripple effect from the foul calls. And I think Taylor Jenkins is just fed up with the fact his team cannot play basketball to the best of their ability if they're not going to know night in and night out whether the rest are going to let them play basketball
1: to the best of their ability. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. There is no flow to these games and it's not just game 4 like this isn't just this game you if the to the people who are listening right now that have watched every single game in this series even the game that the grizzlies won the flow to these games has been very inconsistent because of foul trouble and i asked even, I mean, almost from, I guess it can be like a foreshadowing thing, but in a way, the refs weren't great in the first three games either. So I asked Jaron Jackson when we had shoot around the morning uh, before game four, uh, we got to talk with him. And of course, you know, he's been limited with foul trouble in each of the first three games before the fourth game. And I asked him, I was like, how are you emphasizing, you know, uh, playing without fouling? And then, I, and then, you know, when he talked about, you know, just his hands, his hands, that's the most important thing. And then I asked him, do you feel like this is playoff basketball? You know, do you feel it, the intensity, the physicality? And to my surprise, he said yes. He said yes. He said yes. It feels like, you know, playoff basketball, uh, the energy, the intensity. So we talked to Taylor Jenkins right after that and shoot around. Asked him the same question. He said yes, the intensity. You can feel it. But after the game, talked to Brandon Clark, you know, after, after, after game four, And he basically goes, look, man, this is, this is playoff basketball. We, we expect a little more leeway here. And that's what you usually get, Sean. That's the surprising part. It's not new, you know, for players to, to think that, oh, when the playoffs come, we can, you know, we can tug on the Jersey a little bit more long as it's not, you know, pulling the guy to the ground or anything, but uh, yeah, you hit it on the spot. This foul trouble more than anything, it takes pace away from the game. It takes flow away from the game. And, we did all this talking about the Grizzlies possibly shortening their rotation. Well, Sean, they played 12 players in that first quarter, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't really a choice. They didn't – I mean, every starter, two fouls except Jaron Jackson. And let's be honest, if Jaron Jackson has one foul in the first quarter, you want to get him out of that game before he picks up that second foul. So they had a stretch in the first quarter. They had a stretch in the second quarter where no starters – no player who started the game was on the floor. That was the situation. Even Kyle Anderson came off the bench, and he ended up with four fouls. So it was just all around uh, a tough game, you know, from an officiating perspective. You And Kyle, Carl Anthony Towns, to his credit, I mean, we got to give him some type of credit in here because he did come out just mean. I mean, he came out mean and aggressive, and he forced the officials' hands. But you can say John Moran has done the same thing, forcing the official's hand. You know, first game, I believe he shot 20 free throws. So he forced the official's hands in this game. But Taylor Jenkins seems like he had some incredible points. The way he was talking, I feel like, Sean, he's going to take some plays and he's going to sit it into the NBA. Uh, one play that he mentioned, and I'm going to, you know, review the film, see if I can find it. I definitely didn't notice it at the game. He said that there was a play where he felt like the referees blew the whistle before. Uh, you know, before contact was even made on the Timberwolves player. And if that's true, uh, they're anticipating whistles, then I mean the NBA, NBA's really gotta figure some things out because this is a physical series. You got John Morant going full speed to the rim, you got Carl Anthony Towns bulldozing between double teams. Uh the refs are gonna have to figure out how they can let these guys play, you know, with that physicality.
0: Agree completely. And and the thing that also stands out again, I you know, this does come from the refs. And again, I, I want to put this out there. I'm not wanting for it to seem as if we are blaming the refs for the reason why the Grizzlies lost last night. In my opinion, that's not the case. Right. I do think that the way the refs called the game impacted the Grizzlies. And I do think overall that unfortunately just their, their lack of defense hurt them as well. But let's also point this out as well. The 15 free extra free throws for the Timberwolves, that made a big difference in this game. The Grizzlies had 115 points, 30 plus assists, 15 made threes, and were 46% from three, something that you hardly ever see the Grizzlies do. That has happened 25 times now in NBA playoff history when a team has 115 plus points, 30 plus assists, and makes 15 or more threes while shooting 45% from three. Teams are now 24-1 and in those games. The one loss was the Grizzlies last night. So at the end of the day, it's only a part of the equation. But I do feel Taylor Jenkins is absolutely, absolutely right and within his right to mention the fact that the refs have got to get more consistent to allow for the Grizzlies to get their flow going that they need to. Because when they do get it going, we see obviously they can emerge as the better team on the court. Quite quickly, but before we get into obviously the best player who we feel is on the court when he's on the court, in John Morant, I want to talk with you a bit about Athletic Greens. Now, the thing I'll tell you about this, Michael, is that Athletic Greens certainly is something that you know just can make life better for you. I mean, the founder of Athletic Greens himself, he went, he founded this product because he was experiencing a ton of gut health, gut issues, and ended up with a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him nearly $100 a day. He created Athletic Greens after experiencing how, experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition on your own. But to Michael, I think that you could speak to this as well. If you had something that would only cost $3 a day, and allows for you to invest in your health, and it's cheaper than any type of you know drink habit that you maybe want to invest in, that's a no-brainer to make a part of your day moving
1: forward it's a, it's a no-brainer and and, and sean you, you have all these other daily supplements, the vitamins out here and things like that athletic greens is simply the best option it's healthy it's it's you know been five-star reviews has some of you know you have athletes and other people who are basically vouching for athletic greens and if you have people at that level vouching for it, you have me vouching for it. you have sean vouching for it, you know what to do
0: it's, and know, I'll tell you this, I, I need to take more of it to get my butt in shape, but I will tell you this as well. <laughs> Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Want to thank you so much for making Locked On Grizzlies your first listen of the day, but check out the Locked On NFL and Locked On College network of podcasts as the NFL draft is here this week. Certainly hope the Titans are going to pick plenty of good players this year, but when it comes to the coverage of your favorite football team or your favorite college football team, make sure you check out the Locked on NFL show and Locked on College show of your choice this week as your second listen of the day. So to Michael, the, the other thing, you know, obviously the refs, the defense, those were the big concerns. And those are things that, you know, the Grizzlies can only control what they can control, right? Even if what the, the inconsistency of the refs is having an impact on the Grizzlies during these games, they've still got to play better defense. And they're going to need more sc- consistent scoring from John Morant. Now, I do think that two truths exist here. John Morant himself said he knows that he's got to get better. He knows that he's got to be able to be at full capacity. But I also truly do think that right now he's just not at 100%. He's finding other ways to contribute. You know, to, uh, 18 rebounds, 26 assists over the past two games. But to Michael, for someone who was there for both games in Minnesota, what does Jaw look like up close and, and, and in person? Do you feel as if there certainly is a, a little bit of a limitation in his approach right now? Uh,
1: first thing I have to do is give credit to the Temple there Wolves. Are, there are only a few teams who have the athletic gift to match up to what John Morant does on the court. The Timberwolves are one of the few things that let me explain why. one, you have Carl Anthony towns at the rim, very athletic for a seven foot big. I mean, he's mobile. We've seen him block, you know, uh, John Morant a number of times in this series. He had a couple big time blocks late in the fourth quarter of game four Jared Vanderbilt, super athletic guy. I mean, is a very bouncy guy for four. He's one of the best rebounding fours in the NBA. He's contested John Morant at the rim in situations and held his own a lot of times. Anthony Edwards, we've seen John Morant go to the rim against him. And Anthony Edwards, we know, can jump with the best of them. Uh, they have supreme athletes in Minnesota. And and for one, that's making it hard because usually with most teams, for example, when you have John Morant get blitzed or get trapped you know, by two guys, it's usually the one and the five. So against this team, it would be like Patrick Beverly and Carl Anthony Towns a lot of times in those traps. If John Morant gets behind them, there's only three guys left. You're playing basically three on four, three on five basketball at this point. And when he gets downhill and gets to the rim, most NBA teams don't have fours or weak side shooting guards like Anthony Edwards to compete with him at the rim. Jared Vanderbilt in Anthony Edwards are elite jumpers so for one that's the first point uh the Timberwolves are just supremely gifted to the point and this goes I mean we talked about it before this series started John Morant's numbers against this team uh were some of his worst numbers against any NBA team uh this season because they have those supreme athletes but getting back to the playoff basketball uh yeah Sean he said he's not 100 healthy I do believe it um you know he's not playing as he said above the rim like he usually does, and we see that. Like I said, Carl Anthony Towns has gotten a couple blocks on Jared Vanderbilt, Anthony Edwards, John Morant doesn't get blocked like that. It, it just doesn't happen. And you know he gets he's getting to the rim, but he's not finishing as acrobatically, you know, as he does. Maybe there's another extra gear uh, that he doesn't have right now. He did have a knee injury. You know that that's the main thing here that we're talking about. It was knee soreness, um, as the team put it. So. I do believe he's not 100%, but as he said, he's almost there. I take his word for it. I do believe he's almost there. He did sound a little frustrated at the game, but I think that was just general frustration with all the foul calls and just losing the game by one point when you could have taken a 3-1 lead. So, uh, Sean, I think there's no concern because at the end of the day, even if he's at 100%, Minnesota is going to make it really tough. I mean, I'm I'm trying to give them as much credit as possible here because even you look at a team like I, I'm not trying to look ahead, but let's say they play Golden State in the next round. John Morant could I could definitely see him being much more successful because they don't have the bodies at the rim that this team has. I mean, and I pointed out Golden State because that's a potential next opponent, but even if it was the Nuggets, if they were to, you know, like I mean, Golden State, Denver, like if they were to be Golden State in that series, um, he, he's going to have his way at the rim against them, too. Just there aren't a lot of teams in the NBA that have the repertoire, have, you know, the athletic gift that the Timberwolves have. So it's it's testing John Morant on a new level. I mean, we saw the first two games, right, Sean? 32-23, Timberwolves adjusted. Now you're talking about 16 points, 11 points, and it's been a struggle. But I do think he's not 100 percent, but – I don't think it's an excuse. You know, he said it's not an excuse. I still think he's playing at an all-star level from a physical standpoint, like the burst and everything. It's just not Ja, as he said. And and you hit it on the it hit the nail on the head. The Timberwolves
0: do very well against Ja Morant. Four games in the regular season, Ja Morant averaged twenty points per game on forty percent shooting, three of twenty from three an average seven assists a game. Those were the four regular season games. Four games in the playoffs now, 20 and a half points in these playoff games, 40% shooting, only 27 from three. Now he's doing more, nearly 11 assists per game, seven and a half rebounds. He's doing more to try to contribute to get his teammates involved. But you're absolutely correct. You have layers here. Not only are the Timberwolves, they've got eight games of proof this year. They can limit Jaw almost as good as any team, if not better than any team. In the NBA the knee injury at the end of the season he's gotten jammed up he's gotten you know another player's leg hit into his quads a few times I would imagine that right now John Morant's legs are are not where they usually need to be especially when it comes to his leaping ability but one thing that I will point out that I am thankful for we don't play again until Tuesday night for game five we don't play then after that until Friday for Game Six, those extra day of rests I think are going to be huge for an offense that truly does need John Morant at his best to close out
1: this series. Good points. Good points. That's 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 exactly what it is. Those days in between are are good for him. And, and you talk about knee soreness and and one sign that we see before every game, you know, he's still wearing the the, the bandage around his right knee when he was warming up before the game. Just watching him closely, uh, he's still wearing a big bandage on his right knee. And I think that's just an indication that, you know, he's he's not quite 100 percent, you know, at this moment. And who knows if he will be there this series or or even, you know, this playoff. I, I mean, it's, if it's a knee injury and, you know, he's dealt with it for this long and he had that much time off and he's still having it bandaged and he's playing, you know, 35 minutes. Uh, you you wonder if it's something that's just going to magically go away. But the fact that he's I mean, I still think he looks really good. I think it's more of the Timberwolves personnel than anything. Um, You know, we've seen him. He made the adjustments, I thought. I mean, from a, you know, just mindset, 15 assists. He had the right mindset because at the end of the day, they're they're just not going to let him beat him. It's like the Celtics against Kevin Durant. As gifted as a scorer he is, best scorer in the NBA right now, probably the best scorer uh, we've seen in the last 10, 15, 20-plus years and even longer to some people. The Celtics aren't going to let Kevin Durant beat them. And that's what that's what's happening here. They're not letting him beat them. And, you know, it's leading to some big nights from, you know, a player like Desmond Bain. But you, as you know, Sean, there are also some other players uh, who need to step up as well outside of Ja.
0: And you're right. And a couple of other small things that I'll say before we, you know, head to the next, uh, before we discuss, obviously, Desmond Bain stepping up, you know, while Ja and Jaron are struggling, we'll get into that in just a moment. A couple of the things that I'll show is that I do think that John ja is showing again just the impact that he has, even if his normal scoring prowess is limited right now, maybe due to injury. It's a combination. Probably the most important thing is the Timberwolves gardening, but also I think that he is getting back to where he was. Um, if that scoring prowess is not there, kudos to him for finding another way to make it happen. You know, it, it, again, the 26 assists in game was three and game four. That was a big reason why the Grizzlies were able to get enough offense created to win game three and stay in game four. Now, on the defensive side of things, you know, that there was there was some clear um, instances in which there, you know, deep better defense needed to be played. A- at the end of the day, you know, I think that the Grizzlies all day long are fine if the Timberwolves want to frequently feature Patrick Beverly initiating the offense against John Morant because it's not in the hands of D'Lo Cat or Anthony Edwards. At that point, the Grizzlies will take that all day long. I think John, the first three games of the series, actually played better defense than he usually does. But you yeah. certainly, you certainly hope that he'll be an asset on defense as well.
1: Yeah, he'll he'll ha- he'll have to because Sean they've made it a point to attack John Morant. Uh, talking to uh, Chris Finch before Game Four, listening to Patrick Beverly after Game Three. And just watching the film, I mean, you locked on, you know, viewers, if you've been watching the games, you see it, especially in game three more than game four, but even in game four uh, out of all the players uh, on the court and and the Grizzlies have adjusted in some ways. I saw when the, when they did some ball strings with John Morant, um, uh, you know, trying to draw the switches, the Grizzlies would hedge those screens and get John Morant back to whoever they wanted him to be on instead of switching, you know, like they usually do with Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain. So they're doing what they can to keep John Morant in favorable positions. And maybe the defensive, you know, uh slowness could be contributed to, you know, the him not being 100%. It, it, it very well could be because on defense, you're having to move laterally a lot more than you are, on the offensive end when he's going straight downhill um, more times than not. So uh, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I don't want to see too, Sean, but, but overall, yes, his defense is, is a big reason. It's going to be a big factor in how this series plays out because they're attacking him for sure. Absolutely. And the Timberwolves are getting more
0: effective. You know, the, 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 even, you know, I know there's a few videos out there. we on Twitter that were talking about, you know, how Patrick Beverly was consistently getting into the lane. Well, the efficiency off of that was not that impressive, but it did continue to go well. If the Timberwolves continue to find opportunities to where they can use those drives to lead to open threes. We'll see what happens, but at the end of the day, if they want to have Patrick Beverly driving 15 times a game as their form of offense, by all means, we'll take our chances on those. One thing, though, that I can also tell you you can take your chances on, and I can tell you with confidence there's a good chance it's going to be successful, is making Built Bar a part of your day. Now, I know that myself and DeMichael both have made it a part of our day, you know, in the past and in the present, having the morning for breakfast and the afternoon as a snack. There's over 18 different flavors to choose from at Built.com, and if you go to Built.com right now, you put in the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. Make Built Bar a part of your day today. On tomorrow's edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast, DeMichael and I will go in-depth as to why game five, we all know it's critical, how can the Grizzlies regroup and find some success? Well, and that'll be on tomorrow's edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. You know, we'll probably discuss the threes in general a bit more on tomorrow's show, but DeMichael, I want to give you a few stats. That are both good and also a bit concerning since game, since game one. So over the past three games, the Timberwolves have made 41 threes shooting 37.6% from three. The Grizzlies have made 40 shooting 38.8% from three. And that's a reason why the Grizzlies have won two or three games. I talked about it. Me and you both talked about it. Before this series started, closing that three-point gap was mm-hmm. going to be a huge benefit for the Grizzlies if they did it. They've done it, and now they've won two games and only lost the other by one point in which that differential was not that great.
1: Yeah, it, it was a big factor, you know. And, and now, you know, they're they're closing that gap. And I think, you know, going forward, the, the next step, you know, um, the Grizzlies actually had, you know, you look at it throughout the series, they've had the free throw advantage. But Carl Anthony Towns has been a menace. Uh, he, he's been a menace. Uh, stopping Carl Anthony Towns from not just scoring, but getting at, to the free throw line at will is, you know, the next step. Because we, you just like you just said, uh, in the two games prior to this last game, Carl Anthony Towns had what, eight points and 15, I think it was? Oh uh, yeah. He, he combined for 23 points in those two games in the two Minnesota wins. He had 29 and 13 in game one. And in game four, he had 33 points, eight to 17 from the field, but had his way getting to the free throw line. So with that being said, there's your, there's your biggest factor right there. The two games they've slowed down. Carl Anthony towns wins the two games. He's been a monster losses. So, he the thing is i think he's figured it out you know that's that's the thing about these series you have to figure out what works and they asked him after the game i mean he gave like a it's funny because after game three you know he 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 made the wine comment and everyone was like oh yeah this guy's definitely not a winning player he had a very uh kind of like Shaq type comment you know when he after the game you know in game four they asked him you know what made him be more aggressive and he said basically i'm paraphrasing but he said you know uh, he had to say, to the heck with all the double teams and stuff, just, you know, he's going to score the ball no matter what. And that's how he played. The Grizzlies know that now. You know, you throw doubles, you you trap him, you whatever you throw at him, he is going to be the most aggressive player on the Timberwolves. Now the Grizzlies have to adjust knowing that. Now is your chance. You can force him into a lot of turnovers and things like that if you, you know, play – defense and execute the right way and that's the next step slowing down Carl Anthony Towns through four games has equaled wins when he dominates he looks you know Embiid Jokic good and they win that's that's right along with the three-point line I think that has been a developing thing you know throughout this series Carl Anthony Towns is right up there as the next most important factor and four games in, you start to see trends wide, or right. Some are encouraging. The Grizzlies mm-hmm. being
0: able to close that three-point gap is certainly encouraging. To your point, which is an excellent point, Carl Anthony Towns finding his groove, that's not such an encouraging trend. You know, in the two games that the Timberwolves have won, Carl Anthony Towns has scored 30 or more points. The Timberwolves have made 15 or more threes. The Grizzlies know how to prevent that for long enough stretches. Now it's time for them to do exactly that. So you've got some encouraging trends. You've got some, you know, not so encouraging trends, but you also have these trends that you have to get a little deeper than surface level to start to see that they may not be as encouraging as you might think. Those 43s that the Grizzlies have made over their past three games, 19 of them have come from Desmond Bain, who is 19 of 39 over his past three games shooting the three, including an historic Performance. You very rarely saw NBA players in playoff settings do what Desmond Bain's done over the past two games. But he's been 19 of 39 over the past three games. Tyus Jones has been 7 of 11. DeMichael, the rest of the team is shooting 14 of 59 from three over the past three games. I would imagine with the extra day of preparation, the Timberwolves are going to be putting together a game plan to say Memphis you're going to have to find another way to beat us than De- Desmond Bain getting loose for these threes. And if that's the case, you're going to need to see Melton and um, Jaw and Jaren. The rest of the team is going to have to step up and start, start shooting the threes well. And it starts with them being able to find a rhythm even
1: if the fouls are not agreeing with them. Yeah, yes, Ron. But well, I'm going to go in a different direction. Not exactly a different direction, but but I'm going to say this. I think Desmond Bain's production in the last two games has kind of been, you know, the counter to John Morant's ineffectiveness as a scorer. As I said, when John Morant drops the ball, it's three guys in the paint. He's seeing bodies. When you're sinking guys in the paint like that, someone's open behind that three-point line. And I think – now, Desmond Bank, don't, don't get me wrong. We've seen it. He's made some off-the-dribble threes. He's made some threes, like, just off of play calls where, you know, he's coming off the of screens. He's pulling up in transition. He's made some of those threes. But seven threes in his last two games, I think, you know, if they try to – basically, if they try to take away Desmond Bang, Josh's is going to get back to 25-plus. That's why, you know, when people talk about, oh, is Desmond Bain, you know, uh, part of the long, long term or is he, you know, your biggest trade piece and all of that crap? Like you don't trade this guy. And he is because he's the perfect complement to John Morant. John Morant does inside. Desmond Bain compliments outside. It's, It's hard to take away both when John Morant's driving the ball and he's, you know, being, you know, limited the way he has in this series. Desmond Bain is going to hit seven threes and, you know, do his thing from beyond New York. You slow down Desmond Bain, John ja Morant is going to have more space, more opportunities inside. And it's I don't think you can stop both. I just it's if if they do, it'll be the first time I've seen it probably in a while. I mean, we've probably seen it a couple times this season, but I can't think of a time off my head where it's like, man, Desmond Bain and John ja Morant were both shut down.
0: I think it's a great point, and, and that's going to be a major narrative for the Grizzlies in um, Game 5. Listen, the offense hasn't been the problem. I, I understand yeah. that josh has been limited, and we'll talk more about Jaron tomorrow, who absolutely has to step up as well, but yeah. the offense in general has not been the problem. The big thing for me, and, and to your point, DeMichael, if the Timberwolves shift their focus to try to stop Desmond, Josh ja should find an easier time like he did in Game 1, being able to get into the lane. But the key for the Grizzlies going forward is going to be their defense, especially when it comes to guarding the 3 um it'll certainly be you know there's some going to be some fun narratives to see and we'll discuss all the narratives on tomorrow's edition of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast DeMichael, michael it's been a pleasure hopefully it's good going to be good to be back in memphis for game 5 but hopefully we'll, we'll certainly get a win it's uh, as always it's a pleasure doing these shows
1: with you demichael likewise son it's a three game series now you know uh and game that game 5 winner has a lot of luck when it comes to winning these series so it's it's going to be fun uh, breathe in, Grizzlies fans, take a take a deep breath because it's this is the playoffs now. It's real, but I would still say the Grizzlies are in a favorable position. So uh, we're going to break it down tomorrow even more.
0: And we'll look at some things that even though numbers may not necessarily, you know, we're talking about, you know, how encouraging is the Grizzlies shooting the three? It may not be that encouraging when you consider the entire team as a whole. We'll also talk about some things that should get better as time goes on to help the Grizzlies get the two wins they need. For DeMichael Cole, my name is Sean Coleman. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Have a great day.